This podcast is sponsored by FAT, F-A-T-T, a range of keto on-the-go snacks, including cookies, brownies, chocolate bites, bars, fat jacks, and muffins. Fat snacks are delicious, natural, and always free from sweeteners, fillers, and seed oils. Find fat snacks at www.livefat.com. That's L-I-V-E-F-A-T-T dot com. Use the code FABULOUSLY10, that's one zero, to give an extra 10% off one-time purchases. Not valid on subscribe and save. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to 166 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today I'm talking with Anna Fruling. Now, Anna was introduced to me by Tia Reid. Anna is part of Sugar X Global. And we've had on Dave Wolf from Sugar X Global back in episode 60. So you can always go back and listen to that. But Anna was absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure you're going to love this episode. In the episode... Anna is explaining some of the documents that she uses and she's very kindly passed a set over to us to put on the website. So if you want to go and have a look at the documents, there's the ICD-10, which has the questions. There's a short introduction about the patient. There is a the questions with the age that um, the person said this question applied to them and then there's a graph to show how it all works out so it's really worth going over to the website and having a look the show notes can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 166 so let me tell you a bit about Anna Anna Fruling is a recovering addict with 34 years clean when she realized sugar at as a gateway drug priming the brain for other addictions a light bulb went off it is her purpose and privilege to help others recover fully from all outlets of the deadly disease of addiction she is the author of an altered spirit the 12 steps and ebenezer scrooge all proceeds will benefit places like first step home as a co-founder of sugar x global Anna helped develop a system based on care, connection, action steps, recovery protection and education as the foundation for addicts to grow, recover, transform. It's her purpose and her privilege to help others recover through holistic practices that help heal your metabolism, mind and spirit. So let's hear from Anna. 
Welcome, Anna, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And we always ask, start with where in the world are you? I'm in Nebraska, which is right in the middle of the United States. And I'm actually right in the middle of Nebraska in Grand Island. Excellent. Fabulous. And let's start with your journey and how, because you are a sugar addict yourself. And now you're helping people with sugar addiction. Let's hear about your journey and and what brought you to this point? Well, um, so I first started using drugs when I was nine years old. I was raised in San Francisco, California. And by the time I was 14, I was absolutely, I mean, your drug, my drug of choice was yours. And so I did anything. And so one day I did anything and I was a ninth grader at high school and it happened to be PCP. And I walked down to the railroad tracks and laid my head on the tracks because I just felt out of sorts and I took my purse and I walked out of my class, didn't tell my teacher or anything, just, you know, walked towards the railroad tracks and I found myself laying my head down on the railroad tracks just because I I needed to stop. It wasn't like I was trying to do that, but because PCP is a disassociative drug, I literally watched the train coming towards my head and I was thinking I'm going to die and I couldn't lift myself up off of the tracks and this man came along And I still remember his name, Paul Herto. And if you're out there, if you're still alive, thank you for saving my life. So he he was dressed completely in black, black hat, black beard, black long hair. You know, it was 1979. He had on a black trench coat. Everything was black. And I just remember him walking towards me and he lifted me up off the tracks. And then he took me all the way home. And, you know... He literally, Jackie, he could have done anything he wanted to, to me that day. And he didn't. Mm. He got on the bus with me. He stayed with me. He talked to me. He was kind to me. He didn't treat me like garbage. He wrote a poem for me that I still have. Anyway, so my life continued to get worse, you know, because of my addiction. And addiction is one disease with many outlets. And addiction is a disease, not a decision. So I ended up, you know, getting kicked out of high school. I ended up getting booted to North Platte by my mom so that I could go to beauty school because my aunt ran a beauty school and I showed up there without directions. But my recovery journey kind of started there when my aunt was like, wow, you need some help, you know. And so she got me a counselor and the counselor had me start going to some 12 step meetings But unfortunately, I switched seats on the Titanic, right? And the ship is still going down. So I went from from my drugs and alcohol to a man. And that was my ex-husband. And my ex-husband actually just recently died. And he was still in his active addiction. And he was 70 years old. But anyway, I ended up literally, I was homeless on the streets of Los Angeles, pregnant, you know, um, with my ex-husband, not married yet. And I didn't want to use drugs. And we ended up um, moving to Bakersfield and he got a job in the oil fields there. And so we had an apartment and I'm sitting there and I don't want to use drugs anymore because I'm, you know, and I know he's back using, like he's shooting up drugs and I am like, you know, I don't want to use. And one day I just, I just needed something. And that's the thing about addiction, right? You're always looking for something outside of yourself to fill up what's wrong inside of yourself. So I opened up a one pound bag of powdered sugar and I mixed it with water and I ate it. 
and I even licked the inside of the bag. And I knew I was harming myself and I knew I was harming my baby, but I couldn't stop myself. And so I had my suspicions, you know, about sugar addiction, but this was like 1984, 83, you know. How old were you at that point? I was 18. And so, so anyway, I ended up having another baby. And with her, I remember I ate, I ate nothing but um, nachos with the, with um, peppers and the, the icky kind of cheese that they squirt on, <laughs> the, the squirtable cheese and macaroni and cheese. And that's really what I lived on pregnant with her, mm. right? I needed my fix. I needed my fix. I wasn't getting high. He was getting high. And then I ended up back in my active addiction with drugs, you know, and then food became less of a problem again. And I found my way back into the 12 step program that I had originally been in um, on March 19th, 1989. And I haven't looked back since I have not, you know, I have 34 years clean. When I was about nine years clean, I felt out of sorts. I had a lot going on and I had, you know, past trauma that I hadn't dealt with. And trauma doesn't have anything to do with addiction, but it sure as heck can exacerbate addiction. Like addiction is a physical disease that's caused by early and chronic exposure to sugar. It's not caused by trauma or anything else, but I had the stuff going on. And I remember one day I was doing laundry and I felt like you know, I should just slip my wrist. And here I am nine years clean. On the outside, it looks like everything is going well. I haven't used any drugs, no alcohol, nothing. And I'm wanting to end it all. And I hear this all the time from sugar addicts. I'm wanting to end it all. I'm feeling like life isn't going, you know, it's not, it's not worth living. And so I I look, looking back, I can see that I was doing the same thing with food that I was doing with drugs and alcohol. I was binging. I was trying not to use, trying not to use, trying not to use. And then I would binge my head off at night. You know, I'd lay on the couch and just eat until I basically was in a food coma. And then the next day I'd have a food hangover and I would try to stop and try to stop. And then I would go back on again. And I didn't know how much of an impact that has on like your ability to think, your ability to make good choices for yourself and all that, because I didn't understand all the metabolism that was going on with that. And at that time I was a nurse. And so fast forward to years later, it's probably about 14 years ago and I hadn't been feeling well. And I had been exercising, you know, eating all the things you're supposed to eat according to the pyramid, you know, all that stuff. My binging wasn't super bad at that point, but I was working really hard to control it. Like it was really hard. It was a full-time job, you know, and I didn't know it was a full-time job, but looking back, I know it was. I mean, I woke up in the morning and I thought, what can I eat? And then what can I eat later? What can I eat again? And I mean, it was, I call it my food mosquito. It was buzzing around my head all day. If I went out to lunch with friends and some, and everybody got dessert and they didn't finish theirs, I couldn't focus on the conversation because I was thinking about the drugs sitting in front of me. Like, are you going to leave drugs on the table? Mm-hmm. You get you that. How can you leave that? Right. I mean, this is how I thought. And so I wasn't feeling good at all. In fact, it was around this time of year. It was it was on um, November 1st that I was diagnosed with severe rheumatoid arthritis. I had the highest ANA factor and the highest RA factor my doctor had ever set, seen. And for the next three years, I was on all kinds of medicine. I'm talking high doses of prednisone. I'm talking everything. Like my health was tanked. I had immunosuppressants, Plaquenil, 
methyltrexate, which is a chemo med. My hair was falling out. I, I got the moon face. I got the back. I had the, the lanugo down hair all over me from the prednisone. I, my bones were getting destroyed and I just couldn't get out of pain. And I, I called myself the letter C. I woke up in the morning and I was so hunched over. And if I even sat for a minute, I would be like that. I couldn't write. I couldn't do anything. And I picked up a book in the library and it was called Celiac, the Hidden Epidemic. And I and I uh, and I read that it was called What Came First, the Chicken and the Egg or the Egg in the in the uh <laughs> chapters and it said you know if you have any of these things you should get tested for celiac and i had like five of the things i had psoriasis i had sjogren's disease which is another autoimmune disease of the lymph system you know i had rheumatoid arthritis i had you know i had things and so i was like whoa i had migraine headaches when i was a kid i had all this stuff right and so i went and got tested and guess what i had celiac so I quit eating gluten and immediately wondered what else would make me feel better because it was like the, the tin man got oil. I was able to, to come down off of my prednisone finally. And that was such a relief. I can't tell you because I felt, I felt all the stuff, right? The anger, the kind of like edginess that comes with prednisone, all that stuff for all those years. And I had a small child at home because I have a surprise baby who's 19. My oldest is 39. So, so anyway, so I just, I, I found Mark Sisson. First, I found Lauren Cordain. And then I found Mark Sisson of Mark's Daily Apple. And I became, I went through his first primal health coach. He had one iteration before me. And then I came in through his primal health coaching program. And I never looked back. Yeah. And so- I was a primal health coach. So I really wasn't eating sugars or grains or seed oils for years and years, but here would come the holidays or something like that. And I would do the 80, 20 rule that he talks about but the 80, 20 rule didn't work for me. It was like, um, you guys can eat 20% of the box of chocolate and I'll eat 80% of the box of chocolate. And then I'll go back on my, on my plan. Right. I mean, because I don't know about that. Like my, my kids used to say, mom, you, you eat like you, like you do drugs because I used to tell them, you know, when they would ask me, cause I'm not ashamed to be an addict. Addiction is a disease. It's not a decision. And we should be able to talk about it. Like we talk about the weather period. Yeah. It's got to be able to be spoken about that simply. It has to, and people die, you know? And so they would say, we would be maybe sitting in the movie theater and I would sit between them and I would have my candy. And then I would also have their candy, but they would never get any of mine. Right. So I was always taking, I'll, I'll use yours, but I'm not going to share mine. That's kind of the kind of addict I was. I'm definitely, um, a member of the addiction interactive disorder. I cannot have a game on my phone you know, it's one disease, many outlets. And so I can't have, I tried Candy Crush, Angry Birds, you name it. It's all I think about if it's on my phone, right? The pretty shiny things, the dopamine hit. And so for me, things have to be, you know, pretty like, I'm a caveman brain, right? I have this very special caveman brain and I, and I want to hunt and gather and I want to get that hit. But my hunting and gathering now is and gathering to help people get better and that gives me more of a dopamine drip and that's my life meaning purpose you know and so I I was you know I because of being in the primal health coach field and I had a very successful coaching business and I'd actually be making a lot more money now if I was doing that because it's funny people will pay money 
because they want to lose weight, right? And they want this and they want that, or they want to reverse their diabetes, but you have a brain disease and it tricks you into not paying for help, right? It tricks you into thinking like, you know, like it's somehow, you know, I should be able to handle this. I should be able to control this. And they don't understand it's a metabolic brain disease. I mean, Chris Palmer, I love his book, Brain Energy, right? Because he talks about the metabolism and the mitochondria and the brain. And you really have to have really good, healthy mitochondria to have maybe able to make good decisions, right? And then you have to really understand what a complex disease addiction is. Um, Dr. Paul Early says it's the most complex illness known to man because it affects every single part of your brain and body Plus it dumps on you the self-perception that's horrible, right? So now you have the self-perception, I'm a loser. I'm, you know, I'm a bad person. I can't do anything and all of this. And those voices are very hardwired into you. We call that the red dog. But I saw Bitten Johnson on, I think it was Mike Collins' very first um, time that he did his sugar thing. And Bitten was talking about, she had been sober, she had been a smoker, this and that, I had been a smoker, everything was just, it lined up, like, she was a nurse, I was a nurse, whatever, all this stuff lined up, and, and she talked about sugar being the gateway drug, and I was like, oh my god, she's right, I remembered my bag of powdered sugar, you know, I remembered stuff, and I remembered being a kid, and and move, you know, when I when I left San Francisco, and my my sister called me to tell me, mom had a big complaint the other day. And I said, what was it? And she said, she said, what's all this ice cream doing in the garage fridge? And I just told her, well, Anna moved. Cause I was the one eating all the ice cream out of the fridge. Right. And I was like this big around, you do not have to be heavy or obese or have a weight problem to be an addict, to be a sugar addict. Right. It's, and it's, and it's not, it's not the substance. It's the brain. Once the brain changes, right. I mean, they use sugar, to, you, to do circumcision, they put a glucose shot in the baby's mouth. So the baby goes, woo, you know, the 4th of July goes off in their brain and they're not paying attention to they're getting their foreskin snipped off, right? They're using it as an anesthetic and people are using it as an anesthesia on the couch every night all over the world, right? They're using it to numb out and they don't know that that's what they're doing and they don't know that's why they're doing it. And the brain doesn't want to come down. That's why we use, right? It's not to get high anymore because it quits working. For most addicts, they're like, I don't even want to do it, but I'm doing it, right? They're on the way to the dope man's house or the grocery store or whatever. But when Bitten talked about it and I reached out to her and she did a sugar on me, that was it. I mean, I saw myself on a piece of paper. I saw, okay, Anna, you climbed up on the counter and got baby's aspirin and you knew it was medicine because your mom made sure to tell you that because she knew you like sweet stuff so my mom was like if you eat too many of these it will kill you Anna Maria like she told it to me like that so I remember but she said too many right so I thought well maybe three isn't too many so I remember you know climbing up on the counter and eating three and since then I've talked to women who've had their stomachs pumped at three years old from eating a whole bottle of baby aspirin so I mean it, it takes complete abstinence. There is no such thing as moderation for someone who's a sugar addict. And it's very hard to quit because you don't have to go to the dope man's house as a recovering drug addict, right? I don't even like to qualify addict because addiction is addiction. It's a brain disease. Any substance can hurt you. We know for a fact that people that get bariatric surgery are at much higher risk for alcoholism because alcohol is fermented sugar. That's why. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And so, you know, so after I, after Bitten did the sugar, that was it. You know, I was on the road to, to doing something different, joined her HMA. I now help her train people to become sugar, to become certified um, holistic medicine addiction specialists. And uh, so do Judy and Dave, they participate in helping Bitten Johnson with that program as well. And, uh, and that's really my story in a nutshell. I am free today of all that chatter in my head. And I don't think there is any safe amount for an addict. And I think the problem is we have to go to the dope man's house almost on a daily basis. And some of us even live in a dope man's house, you know, where we have a bunch of teenagers that we're stopping and they don't want to stop. Right. And so it's very difficult. It's, it's very difficult to navigate all the things you've got to navigate and also to understand that you do need holistic medicine for addiction. And it's not just about the food. And really, I mean, my primal health coach training is very helpful because I mean, you need good, a good night's sleep. You need sunshine. You need activity, right? The 12 primal laws, which I've practiced for so long. And I try to get my clientele practice this, practice this, practice this, because you will make better decisions. I don't think most people realize, you know, three nights of interrupted sleep make you insulin insensitive. And it doesn't matter what size you are, whether you're diabetic or not. Yeah, absolutely. And and so at what point or how long ago or what year did you meet Bitten? And was that the point where you realized that you have to just stop the sugar, stop everything? Yes. And it wasn't as hard for me to do as most people because I was already fat adapted. You know, I was already, I mean, metabolically speaking, I was incredibly sound, you know, and my, and my sugar forays were, you know, not that I, and and the thing is, let me tell you what my symptoms were that have also gone away. Even though I wasn't eating the sugar, I was still very food centered in my life. What can I eat? How much can I eat? You know, I trained through Maria Emmerich and I made like, you know, um, healthified drug treats, right? Healthified drug foods all the time. And I don't do that anymore. I barely think about food, right? I think of it as fuel and I enjoy it when I eat it and I don't try to not enjoy it because that's just part of your reward center and you're supposed to, but I never make it hyper palatable for myself. I don't look at recipes. I used to have a recipe book collection, like nobody's business, unless it's how to prepare actual food, like How long do I need to sous vide this meat to get it to medium rare? I don't need a recipe. I know how to use spices. I have salt, you know, so I don't do food porn, right? I don't look at that stuff. But my whole life was like, how can I make all these this great food for my family? How can I teach my clients how to make all this great food? And I'm like, no, I don't want to focus on food. I'm done with it. I know what not to eat. And that's the most important thing. And I know what fuel mix works for me. And that's the other most important thing. I'm done. I don't I don't need anything else to do with my food. I don't need to think about it 24-7, nothing. I need to plan, prepare, and protect so that I can stay in recovery. And now I need to focus on the parts of my life that bring me joy and give me that dopamine drip and give me meaningful purpose. So that's my story. Mm. So how long have you been, should we call it clean? How long have you been clean eating? years. I mean, years. Uh, I I don't even know. I don't count that stuff, but almost since the day that I talked to Bitten or not even the day that I talked to Bitten, the day I saw Bitten talking, because I already knew about abstinence. 
I already knew that when you take one, it releases the obsession and, and compulsion all over again, right? I already had decades clean. So it wasn't like I was a kindergartner, right? It was like, I, I understand what I have to do in order to recover. But the parts that I didn't understand and that I learned was it's different than other outlets of, of addiction because it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's so it's a socially acceptable disease, really. You yeah. know, people people laugh and call themselves a sugar addict. And so it doesn't get taken with the seriousness and severity that it should be taken with. In fact, I mean, I can show you a sugar curve. I have one pulled up so you can see what like a sugar curve. I don't have my own. It must have gotten lost on my old computer, but Bitten, she's she's uh, writing her book in English, Sugar Bomb in, in Your Brain. Yeah. And she calls it Sugar Bomb because it's like a time bomb ready to go off, right? And hurt you. And yeah. so um, she's going to use me as one of the people in her book. And she also told me she's going to use Judy and Dave and their story in her book as well. Um, but I can show you a sugar curve if you want to see one. And if you have any questions, I would love to answer them for you because it's a way to know for sure, right? And it's a way to see what are the medical symptoms. And it's based on the ICD-10 and the DSM-5. And it's so helpful for people. Well, let's have a look because I haven't seen one. And we'll try and explain it for those that are listening. Sure. Um, maybe I can give you an image for show notes or something. Is there a way you can allow Oh, yeah, to I can put put it in this I can put it in the show notes yeah okay so I can email you so I'll show you I'll show you two things so this is an actual sugar curve of an actual client of mine and so you can see that the orange line means it's a symptom and the gray line is the weight line and then this dash line this is all the things that that this person tried okay so this person tried to combat their their disease with a nutritionist, personal trainer, therapy, Nutrisystem, Whole30, intuitive eating, moderation, having sugar only with friends, having it only while out, only for special occasions, restricting, and restricting and binging is a huge symptom of addiction. Yeah. Journaling, meditation, talk therapy, CBT, DBT, breath work. I mean, you name it, right? Eating disorder specialist, treatment facility. This particular person um, had a gastric sleeve in 2019, which is another drastic member people me uh, measure that people take that can't control their signs and symptoms. So you can see her very first symptom was here. Yeah. And then here's her next system. Um, so these are ages that she remembers her symptoms. And if you can see, there's there's 24 symptoms on the curve and she has 23 of the 24 symptoms. Right. And so then, each symptom, do they generally, would you generally get one symptom first and then, then it yeah. leads to another one? And you can see like post-puberty, usually people collect quite a few. You see that right around 16. Yeah. And if you're a woman and then you can see her weight curve, it goes down with her, you know, probably her gastric bypass or maybe, maybe restricting, you know, and then here it goes really high and here it comes down again and here it goes up and I can show you on her timeline. So you can see her exact um, symptoms. So you can see here 
Her first symptom, according to the ICD-10 and the DSM-5, was at four years old, and that was having such a strong desire or compulsion at the thought of eating sugars that she could not resist the urge to eat them. That means like you climbed up on the counter, you remember sneaking food, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, then uh, at eight years old, did she use more sugars than she wanted to? And so she remembered wanting to stop as early as eight years old, wanting to regain control, and she couldn't. Have you continued to use for longer than you intended? Yes, at eight years old. Did you feel that your life revolves mostly around sugars, weight, or dieting? At 10 years old, she was obsessing about her weight. I mean, come on, you know? Uh, have you felt the compulsion to eat, to use sugars even while doing other things? I remember, you know, being at work, wishing I could be at home with a dish of ice cream or whatever. Right. I mean, she, she had that symptom super early when she was 12, uh, a few days in a row without sobering up 13. Did she use sugars despite advice or her own feeling that her physical health and challenges like diabetes, tiredness, and all that had anything to do with it. I mean, I'm doing shorthand here, 13 years old, you know, I mean, you can see the symptoms go on and on a neglect towards planning activities because you were too tired, hungover, or sick due to using sugars. She had that symptom at 31, you know, using, even though your brain is foggy and you know, it has something to do with it. Um, not going out for social situations, eating even when your doctor told you this is going to kill you. You know, these are these are true symptoms of sugar addiction, and it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to treat. It's incredibly difficult to treat because it's such a, it sounds like you in your head. And, and the way Dr. Paul Early talks about is, is like, once the drug is gone, all of the wiring is still there and it takes years and years and you have to learn how to retrain your brain. But the problem is sometimes your brain tells you things and you don't, you don't even think it's your brain. Like you, you don't think it's your disease. You don't think it's your red dog or what I literally call, I hope you don't mind the F word. I call it K fuck radio because it is there to fuck you up. And it will tell you things like, well, I don't like the tone of voice that person had. So I'm not going to go to that group anymore. Right. Well, the the red dog wants to find a way to eat. You know, we have to learn to grow up and be okay with other people's personalities. We have to start looking at the big picture, but red dog's going to be myopic. See, you should eat because of this. You should do this because of that. It romances you. Dave, I don't know if you've spoken to him. I think you, did you have him on before? Yeah. Did he tell you about the trigger-free triangle? He did. But it was a long time ago and I don't remember it. Well, it's it's um, debate, romance and guilt. Oh, yeah. And debate is like, I don't know if I should stay at this meeting or not. Right. Or or um, maybe maybe I'm good enough now that I could have a little bite. Right. And so debate is a very big red flag. Woo. KFUCK radio is playing. You know, you better you better go tell on red. You better talk to somebody. And anytime you keep that stuff a secret, it can grow and it can become this big thing. And we think we have it licked because, well, I've been out of the food and being out of the food, a lot of things change. Our mood changes. We sleep better. We feel better. We have more energy. All these things change. But but the disease of addiction is kind of like the ocean. 
and we're like a ship on the ocean. And this is what Bitten says. The, the ocean is always looking for a crack in the ship, always, no matter what you do. So, so your disease is greater than you. And it's easy to forget that, right? And so this debate comes and you're like, oh, maybe, right? That's like lighting a match. And then romance comes. Oh, come on. It'll be different this time. You can handle it. Or you can do this alone. You don't need anyone else. Come on, baby. It'll, it'll be so different this time. Come on come back to me. And so that's, you know, seeing how close you can get to the flame without getting burnt. Right. And then of course, guilt is all of a sudden now you have regret, you know, and, and the bad thing the brain will do is it'll tell you, I should have known better. You know what? It's a complex illness. Unless you work with very skilled people, you're going to blame yourself and shame yourself into the disease. And so we always tell people a relapse is an, it's an opportunity to study, you know, you can, relapses can be studied, they can be predicted and they can be avoided. And so that's your opportunity to do something. Well, I can show you, we have these, uh, we have a system called the, uh, it's called a, uh, recovery protection, because we think a good offense is better than a defense. And so we use these recovery protection cards. Yeah. And on the top, you can see it has guilt, debate and romance. And so you choose like, like say my cue was Halloween, because like, I don't know how it is where you are, but Halloween is like in the States, like that could be one like. uh, Yeah, we have, we never, when I was a kid, it was never around, but now it's a big thing. So very similar to you. So, right. It could be like trick or treat. That could be the name of your cue card, you know, and then you could think like, is it guilt debate or romance? And it's going to be like, I bet there's some romance because you remember the candy that you used to get as a kid and whatever. And so you, then you write out your custom. What did I used to do? You know, how did, how much did I binge and how did I feel afterwards? Right. What were my consequences? And so, Um, We always, on the front of the card, it says abstinence is not recovery. It's the ticket that gets you into the show. So we remind them getting out of the food is only the first part of recovery. Now we need to change the brain. And this is part of like the neuroscience cards, right? This is the, we know that if you journal, you can change your brain. And Mm -hmm. if you bring something up to your conscience and Joe Dispenza talks about it all the time, you know, when you meditate, bring up that that subconscious thought, and then then you can start to let it go and replace it. So on the other side, it says your recovery has to solve the problem your addiction creates. And then on this side, you're going to plan, prepare and protect. So you're going to put the same cue, but you're going to create a new custom for yourself. And my advice is always to put breathe first, because Breathing and, and, you know, Mark Sisson talks about this. You've got to control and regulate your emotions. And that's the number one way you can do it yeah. in three breaths. It's proven, right? Really simple. It's always with you. You don't need anything special. You just do it all the time. But exactly. you, just, you just now you just need to focus on it and choose one type of breathing. Exactly. And, and I like to tell people breathe when you don't need to so that when you need to, it'll be easy. Right. Because I think addicts and actually, can I just say most people in general don't know what it feels like to feel relaxed and comfortable in their own skin, because 
we tend to be human doings and not human beings. And so to feel like at peace and to feel like your muscles relaxed and feel like that, then you'll know when the alarm bells are going off. Now you have something to compare it to because addiction is a survival brain disease. And so if you've been since since like that client, right? Four years old, for me, it was three years old. If you've been in fight, flight, freeze, and please your whole damn life, you think you know, you're know you going to know what it feels like to feel relaxed? You're not. You're not, not going to know. And so I like them to put for their new custom, like something biochemical, including music, which I was so happy to see. Did you see that Andrew Huberman, Huberman Labs put out a podcast on music this week? Oh, no, I've seen that one. Your emotions, you know, and it really does. Like I can play some old Casey in the Sunshine Band and man, my mood is lifted, right? How can you listen to that beat and that music and feel bad, right? So there's things you can do to interrupt your neuro pathway, right? Because once you learn to brush your teeth with your right hand, you're not going to forget. And it's the same way with the food and there's euphoric recall and all kinds of things to deal with. So we teach them about that. And then we, we teach them to imagine their new consequence. And I always say a half truth is a whole lie. So with a consequence, say on even the other side of the card, oh, it would, it would feel so good to eat that, right? You got to admit that because, but that's half the truth, right? The rest of the truth is but I can't stop at just one mm. and I'll eat more and more and more. And then it'll be weeks later and I'll be in a food coma and I'll be hung over and I won't even know what happened. Right. So you tell the truth. And so on the other side of the car, you do admit, Hey, this journey might be a little tough. This is my first Halloween getting through this. After all, this might be kind of hard, right? I might even shake and sweat. I remember going to my friend's uh, 80th birthday party three years ago and I, she was having it at the chocolate bar, which is a place that has, and we say, don't, you can't do any psychoactive substance. So when we say clean at Sugar X Global, we mean no sugar, no alcohol, no cigarettes, no vaping, no drugs. You know, we're talking about any substance that you can put in you. It's got to go because you can't heal the reward center by hitting the reward center with the stuff. But I went in there and it, all you could smell was candy and there was candy on every single table. And I mean, icing and candy and cake. And I mean, I felt like I was like, I felt like I was jonesing and I hadn't eaten anything for years. And so your body remembers your, your body remembers and it's going to act up. And I think if people know that they can get through it a lot easier, otherwise they assign it to themselves. Why do I feel like eating? Why do because you used to eat all the time and your body remembers addicts are going to feel like it. Yeah. It wants that dopamine hit. Absolutely. And it knows, and it's, it's survival. It's really kind of trying to be nice to you because it doesn't know we're not going to starve. Our, our brain has not changed. In fact, there's a, another scientist that Dr. Early um, references in his book. Um, uh, what is this book called? <laughs> Recovery Mind Training. And so he references Dr. in his book talk about have three brains virtually stacked on top of each other. And, and the two early brains have remained unchanged. I mean, they're not changed at all. That dopamine reward center is so damn ancient. If we think we're going to gain control over it in, a, in the land of pretty shiny things, we aren't consumers anymore. We're consumed. Yeah. So how did you cope in the with all that chocolate around you? Well, I just, 
had a no matter what attitude, you know, I, I, every day, Judy says she, she, uh, I can't remember what she says. I expect the unexpected. Like I know that somewhere, somehow, because like I said, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous, right? Junk food is everywhere. You don't know where you're going to be. You can't trust the outside aisles anymore. That's a lie. You know, a lot of grocery stores know that we've been saying that for years and now they're putting that shit, that yeah. chemical shit storm as Bitten Johnson calls it on the outside of the aisles because they want your money. That's yeah. why. It, down the bottom, all stuff down the bottom, all the crisps and yes. uh, potato yes. chips and stuff and nuts and all sorts of things they're putting where there should be just fruit and vegetables or meat or. And so you must know that that's going to happen to you. That's number one. Every single day you have to know that you 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 might all of a sudden have your mouth water. You know, you might all of a sudden have that. That doesn't mean you have to eat. Mm. It doesn't mean you have to eat because we do have a nice big frontal lobe now that can make decisions for us. It's just a lot quieter and it's, it doesn't, it doesn't act like you're having an emergency, like that part of your brain that fires off, like, come on, come on, you got to eat this because we got to survive. No, I don't. I have, you know, I have enough fat on me. I'm going to make it through, you know, her party without having to eat one damn bite of food. There wasn't even anything for me to drink there except water. Like, I mean, there was not iced tea, nothing. It would, That's fine. I don't care. I was there to celebrate my good friend's 80th birthday. And after the initial shock, I was able to even laugh about it. Like, oh my God, this is like surreal. I'm a sugar addict and all I can smell is sugar. And I was able to have some fun with it. You know, one day I I was, I came home and my mother-in-law had been watching my dog and she left my dog here and on the entry table, she left a bag of dog treats. And I thought, oh, that was nice. And so I was like, hey, Penny, you know, I better be careful. Do you want a treat? <laughs> and because uh, she's a dog, you know, that reward center of hers, she'll be right here. And uh, I opened up that bag and I was like, my mouth started watering and I was like, what the hell? This is dog food. And I looked at the back of the package and black sugar or black licorice was one of my drugs of choice. And one of the main ingredients was molasses. And that's in a lot of um, black licorice. Mm. So uh, you're going to get hit by an image, a thought. We say triggers or cues are people, places, things, ideas, thoughts, feelings, holidays, times of day, times of year, weather, you know, sights, cell, sounds, smells, anything can be a trigger. Yeah. It could be that when you were a girl, you forgot that when your dad took you to his barber shop, you know, somebody always gave you a, a piece of candy when you got there, right? You could you could forget that and you could walk into a barber shop with say, you know, your your son or something and and all of a sudden have that euphoric recall come back and not even know where it came from. So you really have to teach people about how the brain works biochemically. You really have to get them interested in like having mighty mitochondria, right? You have to get them interested in wanting to be the healthiest version of themselves that they can be. You really have to get them interested in seeing a future version of themselves because there's so much hopelessness yep. with addiction have you experienced addiction yourself? Do you have any family members that you've lost or friends that have lost children or anything like that? I I think 
I'm going to touch wood and say, no, I don't think so. Well, I'll tell you this past, um, I think it was, I, I don't even remember. I almost blacked out. It, it hurt me so bad. So I had, an, I had a, a cousin and it was my, my first cousin's son. And he was a, a bright, beautiful, shining star of a boy. And he struggled with opioids and he was finally getting it. In fact, he was even helping other addicts and his brain, his red dog romanced him and said, come on, Owen, one more time, just one more time. And then we'll stop. Have you ever felt that when you were eating food, you know, like, well, I'll just eat one more and then I'll stop. It's that exact same thing. And you really, you really want to, but you just can't, you know, and then you're like, well, I'll just eat the whole bag. Well, I'll just, there's one more bag. I'll just wait until that's done. And that's kind of how addiction works. Right. So he got his one more and he was found dead in his three quarter way house of an, of a fentanyl overdose. So I go to his funeral And this is what happens. And this blew me away. And my husband was blown away too, because he hears me talk about this and he supports me so much because he's a doctor and he believes addiction is real and it should be treated very seriously. And it should be treated with dignity because it's not a moral issue. You're not a bad person if you have it. Owen was about four years old and this guy was up there and he was about three years older than Owen. And he said, Owen used to be my neighbor and he came over to our house almost every day. And he said, and he would, he was so cute and he was so sweet and he would stand in front of the pantry and he would ask my mom for cookies and she would give him cookies. And then he would say, could I please have some more? And he would stand there until she said yes. And she would, and he, she said, my, he said, my mom couldn't say no. Owen was so cute. And so one day she thought this is getting crazy. Owen's eating like a whole package of cookies when he comes over here. And so She said to him, she said, Owen, I can't give you any of those cookies because they're not my cookies. And Owen stood there for about, he said, like 10 minutes. And and he was figuring out how to get those damn cookies. Do you hear what I'm saying? He was figuring out how to get a fix. He needed to work it out because he needed Yeah. He said, he said, could you call that guy and ask him if I could have those cookies? Mm. Wow. So, you know, and, and I and I did a, a presentation for, um, you know, COVID. My COVID brain is going on here. Um, I can see his face, uh, Nutrition Network. So I did a, a presentation for Nutrition Network for part of their addiction thing. And one of the things I did was I put three faces of people I actually loved. And one of them was my little cousin, Another one was a good friend of mine who was in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. But the last time I saw her, she was sitting in a wheelchair with an above the knee amputation with a bag of, as you call them, crisps, you know, on her lap, a big, huge, like big gulp, tons of, you know, like 64 ounce soda and a cigarette. And she was 50 years old and she died of sugar addiction, you know masked as diabetes, right? A lot of people die of diabetes, but they're really dying of a primary illness, right? Sugar addiction. And so what I found out when I was a health coach was I could help people lose weight, but they wouldn't keep it off because one bite was too many. And I didn't know that. I mean, I had clients that lost 160 pounds in a year. A1C went from, you know, upwards of 13 something all the way down to 5.1 you know, they were doing great until they took that first bite. Right. And so I put the, 
I, and, and then my uncle who was killed in the Vietnam War. So I put all the people that have been the total number of people killed in the Vietnam War, the total number of people that died in like 2020 of uh, metabolic disease and the total number of people that have died of drug addiction as of 2020. And the column that was the highest, the number that was the highest was the diabetics. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. It is. And and mistreated, it's a problem. And I see a lot of people out there that are well-meaning, even doctors and even people like that. But you better be very well-trained if you're dealing with a serious addict. Because if you did a sugar on them, and if you actually heard their story, and you, and they were telling you, and it's a it's an interview, right? And so you're not, I could, if you're trained to do it, and if I'm trained to do it, it's going to turn out the same, right? No matter who does the sugar interview on the client, it should turn out exactly the same because you're not giving any input. They're telling you, yeah. right? They're answering the questions. You could explain the question or reword the question if they don't understand it, but that's it. And so, I mean, I've had women tell me, you know, uh, if I didn't get up tomorrow morning, that would be good. That would be fine for me because they don't want to go on. I've had women tell me they have missed out on huge things. You know, uh, one woman that we have in our in our fellowship, she basically um, finally met her 16 year old niece because she had been estranged from her sister for so long. And a lot of it was the thinking and the self-worth and all of that that she was struggling with. Not being able to even like talk about your feelings or identify feelings because you've masked them for so long, you know, not even knowing what you want or you don't want because your life has been stolen by addiction, which means to be enslaved. Yeah. Well, so could you explain to us about the red dog? Well, they're um, bitten uses it. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter what color the dogs are, but she talks about the red dog, blue dog, and it's really kind of that Native American story. And I believe it's, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's a Cherokee story originally. And it's about this grandfather who's teaching his grandson about the struggle inside of him. He says, there are two dogs competing inside of my soul. And one of them is bad and wants to harm me and wants me to cause harm. He's greedy and he's insatiable. You know, he's out for everything he can get. And the other one is kind and patient and forgiving and all of these things. And he asked the grandson, you know, which one is going to win? And the answer is the one you feed. But in the actual Native American story, it goes on to say, and I like this better. And in the in the Native American story, the grandfather says, I want you to go away and think about it, grandson. And when you have the the when you have the truth, you come back to me. And this is the real truth. Remember, I said a half lie, the one you feed, right? Think about that. The grandson came back and he said, the one I choose to feed. And that gives me goosebumps because that's like the real truth. And we've got to learn how to make that choice to to eat that healthy food. You know, there's grief and mourning that goes along. I just want to be normal. What do you mean I can't eat this, you know? I mean, I I had a client recently who has struggled and struggled and struggled with cravings and hasn't been able to get over them. And she's been with, you know, professionally trained addiction counselors and everything else. And she couldn't get over it until she finally listened to me and tried my food plan, which is an elimination food plan, 
I mean, it's very similar to what I would say early Atkins, right? Where you're just going to eat and no dairy though. Like you're just going to eat meat and fat and almost zero carb vegetables, right? And you're just going to do that for at least 21 days. And then you add back that, like that five grams of, of carbohydrate. But I, I go further because people have autoimmune issues and I'm also trained with uh, Georgia Eads. And I know damn well, some of these plants can have toxins that affect your brain and your mood and everything else. So why not, since you did this elimination work, why not go real slow? And so you can create a food plan and a carbohydrate curve that literally works for you, that you don't feel physically triggered to eat, but you feel super satiated. You got nice, strong muscles. My plan is pretty, you know, like it, like the beginning plan is literally two proteins you, or you pick three proteins for the week and you pick two vegetables, two main vegetables. And then I give you a little playroom with like, you can have a little dab of onion, you can have herbs, spices, whatever. But I think if you play with that stuff too much, it just makes it more, you're focusing on the food instead of the healing, right? Yeah. And so, um, so it makes it super simple. So, but I give them the amounts to eat that really is right around 40 to 45 grams of protein per meal which I think you've got to have, you've got to have those amino acids to repair the neurotransmitters. You've got to have it for protein muscle synthesis. And, you know, and, and the same woman that got relief, she started playing around with it and she lowered her protein and she had, she had posted in our space, oops, not going to do that again. I'm going to follow what Anna said and eat enough protein. I don't think people realize, you know, as, especially once you're past a certain age, you don't absorb protein like you used to have extra protein because it's going to help you. It's going to help you stay young and healthy. I I increased my bone density by 9% just by doing a few things like heavier weights and uh, increasing my protein. I mean, if you look at food as fuel and, and you look at it as like, I can actually engineer a better body by what I put in my mouth. And, and then, then I can also engineer a better body by getting outside and getting my circadian rhythm down so I can actually go to bed and sleep well, yeah. you know, and I can have a healthy libido at flipping. I'm 58 years old and I'm dying because my, I have COVID and I, I was away at a, at a, at a coaching convention and I haven't been able to lay hands on my husband and I'm acting like a teenager over here because, you know, I'm 58 years old and I have a libido. Well, guess what? we're supposed to have a libido and I get these overly skinny addicts and they're, they're actually the ones that are almost the hardest to deal with because they're so addicted to, you know, I'm supposed to be a waif. I'm supposed to be, I'm not supposed to take up space. I'm like, damn it, stand up and get, get your superwoman, get your wonder woman stance on girl, take up some damn space in this world. Stop listening to that crap. Yeah. If women took up more space in the world, it'd be a better place. And I know we both probably know that. Yes, absolutely. So um, with people with addiction, would you say that it's more important to eat three or four times a day than say, you know, that lots of people are just doing twice a day. They're doing the 16, eight. What, where does, does fasting affect addicts? Should they be eating? Absolutely. Fasting is restricting to addicts. And so it's a no-no in my book. It's an absolute no-no unless you have to for a procedure, you know, or something like that, or or it's for a religious purpose. I would I would avoid it at all costs. Now, 
once you're completely healed, but see, there's, there's acute withdrawal syndrome, which a lot of people, you know, in your space call keto flu, right? But when someone goes through the keto flu, usually their brain isn't like going to be crazy thinking about food all the time, thinking about this and that, thinking about, should I weigh, should I measure, should I, blah, 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 blah. you know, they're not going to be moving the chessboard pieces because it's obsession and compulsion. That's what addiction is. It's mm. obsession and compulsion, right? So, so they're going to obsess about, well, if I eat too much and if I do this and if I do that, and they don't like to follow directions, you know? And so I think three meals a day for a good long time, like a good long time before you even consider, I don't think two meals a day is a horrible thing, but I do think that uh, if you're going to have two meals a day, one of them better be early in the morning for circadian rhythm purposes, especially for females, uh, because, you know, you're messing with all kinds of hormones and everything else. And, and people don't understand that. They don't understand ghrelin. They don't understand leptin. And there's food timing that you have to overcome. If you if you ate all day, you sprayed out ghrelin in your stomach all day. And that's your hunger hormone. So you're going to be like, well, why am I hungry? Why am I hungry? Why was Pavlov's dog's mouth watering when they rang a bell? Yeah. Because ghrelin was trained to spray out, right? So if we can teach people like the biochemistry and the biophysiology just enough so they understand what's happening to them, I think they can be a lot more detached about what's happening to them and have a chance, but they've got to have support, right? And so we use CARE, which is our acronym for connection, action steps, recovery protection, which is, you know, what I showed you on those cards yep. and education. And I think like we, we always warn people, put your recovery lenses on, don't just read a report and think, oh, I should do this. Right. If it's going to release obsession and compulsion in you, you're going to go backwards and you're going to go backwards fast. And so in recovery, you've got to, you've got to get used to slow, to a nice slow pace. And, you know, that acute withdrawal syndrome, once people get over that and through that, they feel so much better that they kind of mistakenly think they're healed, mm. but there's something called post-acute withdrawal syndrome. And because sugar is such an early drug and it's such an insidious drug that can go on for seven or eight years. And so all of a sudden you have thoughts in your head and you have ideas in your head and all of a sudden they become obsessions and compulsions. So now it's not the food. Somebody hurt your feelings. And now you, every night you lay down and you think about, well, they hurt my feelings and you add more story to this. And if you keep that kind of thing secret as an addict, that's where you're going to like put your finger on the detonator switch. You're going to do something you regret. You're going to say something you can't take back. So you really have to learn how to um, manage your mind, you know, because most anxiety and most poor decision-making is a, is a lack of managing your mind. It's improper mind management. And we believe, you know, self-care is giving the world the best of you instead of giving the world what's left of you. And honestly, um, care literally means someone who has a great concern for your welfare and your well-being. And I always try to tell people, you're going to have to be that person. And you're going to have to watch out for when the red dog says, oh, you know, well, when I came on, you know, to this podcast with Jackie, you know, she didn't have her full makeup on. So she must not have been, you know, I must not be that important to her or some other stupid thing that your brain is going to take personally. Right. Yeah. Because it will manufacture enough BS to get you out the door. And when I say BS, I'm talking, you've got belief systems. 
you've got them in there and you've got biases and you don't even hear the 200 lies a day that your brain naturally manufactures. Your subconscious is so powerful and it it's your disease is always like, it's like a magnet, right? It's, it's pulling you back. And it's also like a terrorist. It's planning its next attack, whether you feel good today or not, it doesn't take a day off. And so you can't either. And I don't want that to scare people. I want them to understand. That's why we talk about recovery protection. A good general isn't going to go out and do battle with his wonderful people that he's in charge of without knowing like the terrain is, are there potential landmines? You know, where could the enemy be hiding? He's going to know all that stuff before he goes. So, you know, here's October coming up, right? We got to know, okay, the holidays are coming up. So for the next, you know, three months, October, November, December, what's my battle plan? What, what where's the enemy, right? Where's yeah. the enemy? I'm going to, I'm going behind enemy lines, right? So how can I plan, prepare and protect? Who can help me? Who can I call? What food do I need to prepare in advance? What restaurants do I need to know what I can eat when, you know, do I need to eat before I go to that wedding? Because they're doing a taco bar, right? And I don't even want to deal with it, right? Do I put my food in my bag? And how do I talk to people? Do I just tell them I have allergies? Do I, but let's make a plan, right? So we can be successful. And people are very resistant to planning. Yeah, it is challenging. And I think a lot of it is the, when you're in a social situation and you you feel awkward if you're not doing what everyone else is doing and you know it doesn't feel right to take your own food or you know whatever it is you're doing I mean I've just come back from holiday this week and um everyone that I was with they were like oh have you got your butt have you got your butter and it's like of course I've got my butter I've always got my butter um and and then then they they want some of it so it's like can I have some butter and it's like sure you can have some butter so I always but it's taken it takes a while and and I still feel that that people are saying oh look here she goes again with her food and stuff like that and I've got a couple of I've got an event on Saturday a birthday party that I'm going to now I'm not an addict maybe I am maybe I would be an addict but we could do a sugar on you. I I can moderate. So I can have something. I could go on Saturday. It's a lunch. I could eat the lunch if I want to and come home and I'll just be back on plan. It's, you know, that I don't go off on a, on a binge. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I've been thinking over the last few days. Should I take some food with me? Maybe I'll eat before I go. And see, that's a little bit of that debate thing. Yeah. And in that case, I would say, you know, even as a moderator, you know, you've gone through your struggles. Why open up that can of worms, right? Mm-hmm. If if you're, you could plan your moderation and have a lot more success, right? Yeah. And so why not bring food? And you know what? This is what I found. And for myself, I actually enjoy holidays and everything more now. In fact, I have a, quite a large house. And so my my kitchen area is really open. And I usually do Thanksgiving and Christmas here. And those are huge holidays in the U.S., especially Thanksgiving. You know, and I might have 30, 40 family members here, you know, that all pile in and any other strays that want to come. And I let them bring whatever they want. And I just have a 
place for their crap and they know the crap leaves. When they leave, the crap goes. And they don't care. I make a beautiful, you know, few choices of meat. I make some vegetables and I I open up my place. I play great music, you know, whatever. We play great games. And I just think about how forward I'm looking to spending the time with the people and how even when I used to go out and I ate that food, for me, that food distracted me. I wanted the recipe for this. I wanted to know who made that. I wanted to know you know, where they, where they bought that cake, right? I want, all I wanted to talk about was the food. I didn't even really engage with people. I was distracted by, like I said earlier, what do you mean? You're not going to finish that piece of cake. I'd lick my plate if you guys weren't here, right? I mean, that's how, how my brain worked. And so, so now it's like, I'm free and I can actually you know, let me watch the kid. You go ahead and enjoy whatever, you know, I want to, I want to play the games with people. I used to want to do the dishes because that meant I could get some extra bites in, <laughs> you know, I wanted to, I could nibble. Now I'm like, <laughs> you guys, I, I cooked you clean, you know, I want out of the kitchen and into my life. Right. That's kind of like, we, we, I don't think it lands with people, but our real motto and our real truth is we want people to get out of the food so they can live their best life now. We want them to get out of addiction so they can live their best life now. And there's there's so many, you know, I'm, I'm trained as a high performance coach also through Brendan Burchard, and it's all based on neuroscience. And, you know, his system has a 97 point or 99.7% rating of people loving it because it helps you to live into how you want to be as a person, right? Everybody gets caught up in who I want to be or who am I? And is this because of X, Y, Z that happened to me, right? Instead of figuring out how am I now, you know, now I'm fearful. I'm afraid to go to the holidays. I, you know, I lack confidence, whatever. So what is the opposite? Where do I want to be a year from now at the holidays? And how can I train for that now, right? How can I train? And that's what it's all about. You know, you got to do the reps. Easy is earned. It's not something that happens overnight. But you can, by taking suggestions from people that, that know what they're doing and who have been there before. And, and we have a system. We don't throw spaghetti at the wall. Our care system really works. We have a Red Dog, Blue Dog journal page that you can use. And, and we suggest like for newer people to write down every single day towards the end of the day, like maybe three or four o'clock, how many times, you know, did, what did Red Dog say to you this morning? What did they say to you at work today? Whatever. And then you practice answering, what would Blue say back? What would your Blue Dog say? And then you can get a mentor and you, and you can ask them, got any other ideas for Blue in this case? Or, hey, I've got this wedding coming up and do you have any ideas for me? how to talk to this person, or my sister always gives me crap, what diet are you going to mess up on this week, right? And you know that, the shame, the shame that people are that throw your way because you've been on, you know, 99.9 million diets and you've failed at every single one of them because diets are a failure industry. Yep. I, I, I understand that because I gave up on diets, you know, and I told myself diets don't work. But even so, I still felt, I'm not going to say, I don't know if I was ashamed, but I just felt unmotivated and out of control 
with my eating at some points, um, particularly just before I went low carb, I, it, it got really bad and I was really out of control. But I knew I was out of control and I knew I needed to do something about it. And I knew wheat was addictive, but I just couldn't do it. And but something switched, you know, you, you get that moment. And for me, it was a book. And then and it became, yeah, I can do this now. But I think but that I, feeling of doubting yourself, it's so it's so unnecessary and it's so trained into us, you know, that we failed at doing something when the truth is um, diets are so restrictive and so and lack nutrition. They yeah. lack nutrition and, and you're eating oils, right. And you're eating all things in moderation. A lot of these foods are triggering whether you're an addict or not. Nobody passes up a bread bowl. I mean, you mentioned wheat. Dr. Davis will tell you all day long, wheat is a flipping opioid. It's going to make you want to eat it. So I read his book back in something like 2009 or 2010. So I knew it was addictive. Yeah. And I had given it up for a while back then. And and now in 2016, it, my bread addiction was really high and I just could not stop eating it even knowing that it's addictive and even knowing that all the stuff that it does in your body, but you know, it, but it did change. So I'm glad about that. Well, Bitten says that, and those are the most addictive foods because they actually turn into glucose in your body and the, the blood sugar goes up and down, but there's a lot of evidence for fructose now too, and how it changes your liver and your brain and everything else. And I guess, you know, we make fructose in our brain. I just read an article recently about how we make, fr we make fructose in our brain if we were experiencing times of starvation or times of lean, because that would give our brain energy so that we would have the motivation to go ahead and go hunt. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. And I look forward to seeing more research on that. But I think we have to keep abreast of the biochemistry and everything else, you know, and we have to grow with it. And we cannot be treating, I think all addiction should be treated holistically. You go into, and I've carried the message to these places with my 12-step program. So I know, I mean, I wrote a book about the 12 steps. I am not anti-12 steps. In fact, you can pull the 12 steps out of my cold, dead hands. I love them. But you go into these treatment centers or these detox centers and they, all they, a lot of them get like donated food, especially detox centers. And so what do they get? They get all the cakes and cookies and processed flipping crap for their brains that are, they're trying to come off of damn dope. Yeah. And they're, I've seen women die and I'm not exaggerating who went back to smoking cigarettes because they were gaining weight in recovery, who went back to, you know what? I'm just, I can't get fat. I, I got to use meth again. Boom, dead because vanity over sanity, right? because we've been so hardwired and we don't treat addiction as one whole, whole disease, one disease, many outlets. It doesn't matter what the outlet is. It's going to, it's going to kill you. Your disease is looking for a hit and you understand the dopamine reward center. And it's very refreshing to talk to someone in the low carb space that really gets like, it's, it's, it's a huge driver. It's a huge driver. And so you don't necessarily know because one of the things your brain is going to do is it's going to compare. 
well, this version is better than that version. That's what happened to me with like the Maria Emmerich treats, right? (laughs) And then it's the same thing like, okay, well, but a game I've, you know, I've never been addicted to a game. Now I say to myself yet, right? That's not a problem yet because Mm -hmm. almost anything could be a problem for me, right? And so I didn't know that I wasn't going to be able to play. And I tried different games. I kept comparing. I thought, well, you know, like if it's just a word puzzle, surely that won't be, you know, nope, didn't work. I tried a decorating game. I thought I didn't know they could build so many damn rewards and bells and whistles. So now I have a deck of cards on my kitchen table. And every once in a while, I play a more complicated game of solitaire. And it's nice. And I have a puzzle. I always have a puzzle out in my family room so that I'm not like when I need a little something just to kind of give my brain a break or whatever, I'm not getting this huge dopamine hit. And I'm telling you what, when I put that last piece of the puzzle on this last puzzle, it was a bitch. It was hard. And I literally like when I got that last down to that last piece, it took me like two and a half months to do this puzzle. Yeah. And and it was just like, woo. I mean, that was like that slow drip reward of hard work and effort. I didn't give up. And there were times I wanted to give up. And that's how recovery works. There are times you're going to want to give up. But just because you want to give up doesn't mean you have to. You can keep going. You make a decision. You do the next right thing, regardless of how you feel. Right. That's got to be the path forward because at some point you have to grow up and you have to make decisions. And if you don't take the disease seriously, that's where you go backwards. And that's where you you're in for years of misery and you don't know where it's going to take you. If you would have asked me that at nine years clean, I would be doing my laundry and thinking it sounded good to slip my wrists. I remember that day. I remember thinking about, you know, how nice and warm that thick blood would feel draining out of my body and all my problems would drain out of my body and I could just rest and I could just be done. But I did not know how psychoactive food was. Yeah. That's a deep place of desperation, really, isn't it? Yes. And, I, and I'm not the only one that's been there before. And people are ashamed to talk about it. And so I talk about it for them with no shame because I didn't do anything wrong. No. When we were kids, well, you're younger than me, I think. Oh, I'm older than you. Okay, so whatever, we're contemporaries. Yeah. When we were kids, there were not the amount of cereals there are now. I mean, we had the penny candy and all that stuff, but there weren't aisles and aisles and aisles of candy like there are now, you know? A grocery store was quite small and at least probably 60% of it was actual food that's that would be recognizable to our grandparents and our great grandparents. Yeah. Whereas now it's the other way around. I go to say even more. Yeah. It's not real food. I really don't have to go to the grocery store. I know meat producers, you know, I know farmers markets. I know people that grow food. My husband grows some food. I don't really eat much veg anyway. If it was just me and me, it would just be, you know, calling straight arrow bison for their grass-fed bison, calling the guy that I know that has, you know, pasture-raised pork. Hey, can I get some of that cow? And and can you throw in the extra fat that nobody else wants and grind it up with my burger? <laughs> you know, I'm good. 
mail order my butter. That's it. I'm done. I'm shopped for the year, you know, and it's, I love that. Yeah. I spend, so I have so much more time because I'm not thinking about food, creating recipes, making complex, but every bit of food I cook is beautifully cooked. I mean, you better believe you're never going to get an overcooked piece of meat at my house. You know, it's going to be good, but it's not going to be a recipe. Yeah. And, and I, I sometimes feel awkward now because I, I, one, I don't cook. I have no interest in cooking. But the other thing is when people that say to me, what do you eat? You know, give me some inspiration. And it's that I find it really difficult. I do have a list of websites that people can go to and have a look at recipes, but I don't do recipes. My husband doesn't do recipes. Right. We just have meat. So for example, I mean, you're in your afternoon and I'm in my evening. My dinner this evening was four lamb chops and some cheddar cheese. That was it. Yeah. So easy, really easy. And, and, and people get very triggered like that, but, but what about this? But what about that? Because they're, it's pushing them outside of their comfort zone. And so, you know, our food plan with the get out of the food system really pushes people out of their com comfort zone. But the truth is ripping the bandaid is probably the best thing to do. Now we always say, get a doctor involved. If you're, if you're on any medications that you have any questions about whatsoever. I mean, I've gotten people off of insulin when I was a health coach, coach working with their doctor in less than 24 hours from blood sugars upwards of 300, you know, if they're willing to go that fast. But for some people, and I do put this in our medical suggestions book, you know, and how to talk to your doctor and all that and what you're responsible for. I put it in there. If you're really, really bad on sugar, just give up all liquid sugar and make your breakfast be that, that meat and that fat, you know, or those eggs and that fat. And then after a few days, start doing something with lunch, right? And usually they go really fast after that because they see how much better they feel. They don't even realize, you know, how foggy they are, how, I mean, this one guy came to me, his like, his calves were this big around with, and with weeping edema, I mean, his pants were wet all day long because his legs were crying from interstitial fluid because of his metabolism. And the beautiful thing about metabolism is, you know, it occurs in your mitochondria and your mitochondria are visitors. They're bacteria that are ancient bacteria way older than us and you get them from your mom which i think is interesting and i don't know why you only get them from your mom but you get your batteries for life from your mom yeah. right and these batteries turn over and they actually have more dna in their cells than we have in our own cells yeah it's and it's different different dna it's their dna it's, yeah it's nothing to do with us we're their creatures that live within us that these little creatures turn over every few months and they can they can actually be better than they were. And I think that's so fantastic and so hopeful to teach people like you, your skin can get younger. Your brain can get healthier. Your muscles, you know, I mean, I haven't even been able to exercise much because I'm, I've, I have long COVID from, and it triggered my, my rheumatoid arthritis from last December, but I still have muscles because I eat meat and I, and I get my walks and I, you know, I rest and I don't, you get a good night's sleep and you're, and you're, you have BDNF, right? Brain drive neurotropic factor. You get a brainwash at night. You get all that uh, crap out of your brain. You just feel better, brighter, younger, more optimistic every single 
month that goes by, you can feel better and better. And I think people should notice that on their journey. I think they should kind of stop and smell the roses, you know, take a look back and give themselves a, add a girl, add a boy, you know, on the back because it is massive and it's, it's hard. You know, if you're, if you're addicted, it's really hard. Even, even from me who I, I would say I'm probably not addicted, but it's still hard. You know, it's a challenge sometimes every day. And, and I can sometimes hear my brain going, oh, well, you could just have this now. Um, but it, you have to be strong to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. And, you know, your brain, you can't blame your brain for trying. I always say, you know, the disease of addiction is like a horror. It's not going to care where it gets its fix. It sees pretty shiny things and it's going to be like, let's do that. You know, I mean, that's what our brain is supposed to do. So what, you know, so what? I know what I want my life to be like today, right? And I think, I think, you know, hard, easy is earned, like I said earlier, but I also think that striving forward, you know, doing something meaningful, doing something when your family cries because you saved their dad's life, you know, when this is what happened, like with that guy with weeping edema, I run into his daughter that I don't even know it's his daughter at my daughter's high school a few years ago right and she comes up to me and just hugs me and just starts sobbing I thought for sure my dad would be dead and you saved his life Anna and no I didn't save his life no you did it right but the truth is like that's how grateful your people can be right I have a client who I had a private one-on-one with her a couple of days ago and she said her goal in life is to be a high performing granny. She has seven grandkids and I was like that is flipping awesome. I love that. Let's, let's have that future vision of hope, that future vision of you being able to do all the things, right? With these beautiful children that you love. Let's not torpedo that today. I call it don't give it up cheap. Don't don't give it up every time some pretty shiny chocolate cake comes around. It's not worth it. No, not worth it. Your grandkids, keep a picture, you know, that you can pull out of your purse when you go to those things. Look at the picture before that can be part of your recovery protection plan. You know, on Canva, you could even put it up there and you could write on it, I don't eat cake. Heck, you can do that with your phone now, right? I don't eat, I don't eat drug foods because of these guys. You know, you could put that picture on as a screensaver on your phone. There's all kinds of things you can do to help your brain, help the blue dog become more powerful than the red dog. And the red dog, you know, to me, a lot of people get angry in this and that. I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't look at it that way. The red dog just wants to get a bone, just like everybody else in the world. And I'm like, you know what, red? Let me tell you what, I know you want that really bad, but remember last time we had that and we felt sick? We don't have to be dope sick anymore. So so not today, maybe tomorrow, Red. That's what Bitten taught me. Not today, maybe tomorrow. So I just put Red off. I only have to do this for one day. I don't have to do it for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Just for today. I just want to go back and ask you, um, because you said to make sure to get 45 grams of protein. Well, anywhere from 30 to 50, I think is good for most women. Do you have a, do you have a percentage of that, of fat? Like, is it 80, 20 or 60, 40? 
I don't really, but I recommend against lean proteins, which are generally not very natural. Like chicken comes with skin and bone, right? It doesn't come with just chicken. So, so, I mean, I, I think you should eat the fat that your meat comes with and you should, you know, you should select for fattier choices. And also we add fat. We tell them at least two, at least two tablespoons of fat at every meal and fat between meals if they need it. So like they could have, you know, a tablespoon of butter word into a, a hot tea or something, but we don't want them to, or even just eat the butter. I don't care. You know, and, and I've had addicts tell me, I think I'm getting addicted to butter. I, I'm like, you know what? Is your libido back? No. Well, then you need to eat butter because your body's trying to tell you that you need to heal your hormones still, right? Our body knows a lot of things. Now, some people are going to have to weigh and measure. They're going to have to be very extreme because of the restriction and binging and the dieting all their life and, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, like my business partner, Judy, she went on like one of those medically liquid diets, you know, where she was barely getting anything a day for ages, right? She was on all kinds of stuff, you name it, Judy did it, right? And so she has no concept for herself of when she's eaten enough or when she's eaten too much. Like she does, she needs guardrails on that. And so, so she takes a scale with her wherever she goes, wherever she goes. And one time, one of her friends, you know, uh, she took out her scale and she was weighing and measuring. And someone said to her, do you always take your scale with you? And she said, yeah. And this was back in the day, you know, and she says, well, we were at a restaurant the other night, Judy, and you did not. And she said, yeah, I did. She said, I weighed and measured right in front of you. You didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. The crazy thing is most people are so damn involved with themselves. They don't even pay attention to you really. You yeah. know? Absolutely. So, Anna, is there anything else that you needed to tell everybody before we get onto the last bit of the interview? Well, only that there is hope. Never be hopeless. There is hope. And that just for today, you can do anything until bedtime. Anything you make your mind up to, you're not going to die. You've done hard things. You're a grown-up. I promise you, you're not going to die. It'll be okay, you know? And you'll be glad. You'll be glad you kept your word to yourself and your self-esteem and your self-worth will start coming back. And that's important because the world needs you to be your best self. The world needs all the goodness you can bring. And if you're taking care of you, you're going to be better than most people and you're going to be able to double down on goodness. And this world needs you to be your best version of yourself. So that's what I would say. And we need we need healthy people in the world and we need people to shine the light on, on health, even if they're just living it, even if they're just doing it for themselves or whether they're helping people in a professional capacity or not. We need or just being an example. Yeah, we just need healthy people around because there is so much disease and illness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to, we, we were talking before and I was going to mention about Dr. Jenna when um, always talking about hope. You have to, you know, hope is really important. Um, hope. Yeah. Hold on, pain ends. Hold on, pain ends. And then, And then when you get through it, it can be help other people every day. Yeah. Just like what you were talking about. It's a beautiful thing. Fabulous. So how can people get in contact with you? How can they find you? How can they find out about your program? Tell us where people need to go. 
Well, they can come to sugarxglobal.com. They can follow us on um, uh, YouTube, sugarxglobal.com. They can email us at hello at sugarxglobal.com. And, uh, and we have a Facebook page as well. And it's all pretty much the same thing. And uh, they can get my book on Amazon. It's called An Altered Spirit, Ebenezer, or The 12 Steps in Ebenezer Scrooge. And it's really a booklet. And it's about Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge's transformation. And I do a comparison of The 12 Steps through the visits of the ghosts. Mm. And it's a lovely little book. And I donate every bit of money to go towards programs that support children of addicts. Because children of addicts, they feel guilty and ashamed and it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Their parents are addicts. It's not their parents' fault. They're addicts. It's a misunderstood disease that's treated criminally. And I really want to de-shame um, addiction for children so they can hold their heads high and not fall into the trap and the shame that can perpetuate addiction in families, right? And and I'm actually getting ready to write a book and I, and I have a pediatrician that's going to be working with me as well. And we're going to write a book about... Um, explaining addiction to small children like elementary school children so that they can know like at your house maybe it's like this you know but that doesn't make you a bad person someone else's mom might have cancer right so I just really want to de-shame um, addiction around the world before I die I want I mean if I could make it so that addiction is not stigmatized ever again in the history of man I would die just the most happy woman in the world Thank you. So we're going to finish with your three top tips. Well, you know, I think I'm like, I'm the tip queen. So I'm just going to pick the ones that are on my heart right now today. And, and that's going to be no matter where you're at, start. Imperfect action trumps perfect inaction. That's a Harry Truman saying, no matter where you're at, start. Make one small move. And then you know, we're big fans of a stupid plan. Have a stupid plan. Take aim. And if your arrow falls short, make a new stupid plan. And you're going to get more precise every time. In fact, I would recommend everyone watch Jordan Peterson's video on a stupid plan. And my number three tip is don't believe everything your brain tells you about yourself. And don't believe one damn bad thing your brain says about you. Don't believe it. It's not true. You've been taught to, to self-hate and, and you cannot tell me, no human being has ever been able to answer me this question and say that they would do it. If they were talking to someone else who was having automatic negative thoughts, would they tell them, well, your thoughts are true. You are a piece of crap. No, the answer is no, they would not. So what gives you the right to do that to yourself? Take your hands off of your own throat and give yourself a break. Those are my three tips. You're going to live a better life, period. And you deserve a better life. We always talk to ourselves and about ourselves much worse than we would about any other person. And it's become okay. It's it's okay to do that, but it's not okay to do that. Never. You've got to bring yourself up all the time. And that's a work, that's a job in in and of itself it's a lifelong process yeah Anna thank you so much for being with me today well thank you thanks for having me thank you
It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>